Greetings and welcome to On Frame, conversations about art with host Alejandro. You are listening to CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. If you are interested, you can continue the conversations with us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook on Frame Radio. For tonight's show, we have Marcus Miller. Marcus has worked across Canada as a curator, writer, artist and a teacher. He was the director of galleries for the city of North Butterford until August 2011, where he created portraits, painting, face pulling, and storytelling, featuring paintings by Alan Sapp and historical portraits of Aboriginals from the Drumming Hill collection. His tenure in North Butterford culminated with the fourth North Butterford Biennial Sculpture Symposium entitled Big Things. At the Gallery of Alberta 2006 to 2009, he curated a number of thought-provoking exhibitions, including the Nouflonox, Contemporary Urban Practice and the Pinturesque, and a major survey of Edmonton artist Sylvain Boyer, founder of Latitude 53. The Nouflonox combined historical artwork and a new video installation by walking artist Don Gill with popular urban phenomena like parkour, geocaching, and urban exploration. He designed a modular presentation system of platforms, walls, ramps, desks, and seats that mimicked parkour obstacles and invited spectators to engage their bodies as they experienced pictures and text. Miller has lectured at Carleton University in Ottawa in the Department of Architecture and Concordia University, Montreal, with graduate and undergraduate courses in the contemporary art. He continues to write art criticism for a wide range of readers until 2005 as the Montreal correspondent for Contemporary Magazine in London, as well as Canadian Art, Border Crossings, Black Flash, and the Canadian Medical Association Journal, among many others. Marcus is the current director at the Gordon Snellrock Gallery at the University of Saskatchewan. Tonight we have with us Marcus Miller, writer, curator, and advocate for the arts, and we're very fortunate to have you here. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you. Hi, Alejandro. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us and the audience, your route to Saskatchewan, you're very accomplished in many things, and you are originally from out of province, parts of the country, and then you ended up in all places Saskatoon. <laughs> That's true. I'm really from the East for our Western adventure in 2006, where I took a job at the Art Gallery of Alberta in Edmonton. And I was there for a few years. We moved around quite a bit uh, after I left that gallery. In a way, that was my first real job. You know, because before that, I was working at artist-run centers. And uh, anybody who knows anything about artist-run centers knows that they're, uh, they're sort of burnout places, right? And you've got a lot of people with a lot of energy doing a lot of work for very little. But I'm a huge advocate for artist-run centers and for anybody that is you know, wanting to uh, connect with artists on any level, you know, locally or nationally, internationally, that's a wonderful place to get involved. Well, it was a long route and it was uh, quite a lateral meandering route, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to be. And so I continue to be a big advocate for artist-run culture, and I think there's, you know, there's probably, we can get into this later, but I have a feeling that, you know, artist-run centers, for example, in Canada, where they're so well-established, they've had a kind of an identity crisis almost from the start. But I actually think that now, with, now that we're in the midst of a kind of a 1% culture, that the contemporary art market has gone crazy and is so divorced 
from the everyday in which most artists work, I think there's more of a need, more of a raison d'etre for artist-run centers now than uh, ever before, actually. I'm on the board of uh, several places. One of them is uh, AKA Gallery here in Saskatoon. And in fact, I made that a point when I moved to Saskatoon a few years ago, uh, just so I could meet people and, you know, establish my network of contacts and colleagues, right? And in Canada, we're, we're very, very lucky. We're blessed here with a wonderful uh, network of artist-run centers across the country. Probably one of the strongest systems in the world. We, we're a model for the world, and I'm very, very proud of that. And I think born in 70s, really, the late 60s and 70s, the raison d'etre is, uh, is very present now more than it ever has been. If they started out as places that would give artists a chance to run their own show and show the work that the major institutions were not showing, they've been very successful at influencing those public galleries and museums so that now, and it happened quite soon actually, by the 80s, you know, those bigger museums they were, in many cases, actually partnering with artist-run centers. Why? Because they were, they were in touch with the latest things that were happening. They were in touch with installation art. They were in touch with feminism. They were in touch with video. All of that stuff, performance especially, right? All those things that were more difficult, that major institutions were simply not used to uh, presenting those those idioms, people who were running them also did not know about them. They weren't interested and they felt them to be a kind of a threat. But it wasn't long after these places were started that really, you know, the museums caught up. And so, you know, at artist-run centers, if I could just go on in this, this little rant here, it's not a rant, but, you know, the little history. Artist-run centers, very soon on, certainly by the early 80s, were, had a kind of an identity crisis. What are we here for now? Now that the museums, now that commercial galleries are showing similar things, the same artists in many cases, what are we here for? right? And there has been a kind of an identity crisis, you know, throughout the history of artist-run centers. But I would say now, I'll speak as board director at AKA Artist-Run Center here, I think the raison d'etre for them, as important, it's as there's just as much of a need for them now in our 1% culture, where contemporary art, the market for it, is just blown the, the roof off, right? It, it's the, the prices that contemporary artists are fetching now, a very few of them have gone through the roof, and it's become a world that's completely divorced from the possibilities that most artists are working within now. And artist-run centers now can be an antidote to that. Artist-run centers are more important now than they've ever been. Not so much now because artists, you know, like the Mendel or the Rene Modern might show many of the same artists that AKA does or paved arts, but because paved arts and AKA, and I'll just use the two local examples here, Certainly. they can click into artists, they can discover artists, clicked into a network of artists that the Rene is not. They've still got their fingers on the pulse if we can say it 
like that. Very, very important. And they, they're imp it's important also. Artist-run centers started out in, as a, it, they were adversaries of the museums. The museums were the, their enemies, actually. That was, you know, that's sort of in the avant-garde mold. There, were, there was a history of uh, great collaborations. And, you know, artist-run centers sort of taught the larger institutions how to operate, how to click in to new things that were happening. They've got a very important role for that today. Did you find that artists and centers give a lot of opportunities for emerging artists while galleries and large places like the National Gallery won't uh, take those chances with new, new artists that are interested in doing a project that perhaps they don't have the experience but they need a place to show their work. What do you think would be the, the role of artist-run centers of that if they are really the, the groups or the organizations that are uh, providing that service for artists that want to do a very exciting project that otherwise they can't? That's exactly right. I mean, uh, larger public galleries have a larger base of stakeholders, right? And so they have to please more people, a greater range of people. They are less able to take chances. Because of that, they can't, right? Artist-run centers, though, who do they answer to? Yes, they're publicly funded, so they're answering to all of us, in a way, but their main constituents, and I wrote this into every single grant I've ever written for any artist-run center, the main constituents are artists. And because of that focus, that gives them great freedom to be risky and to take chances. And I think that's their job to do that. They, should, they need to keep on doing that. As for accessibility for emerging artists, they've actually become a problem. They've become, over the decades that they've been in existence, institutions themselves, yeah? And so if I'm a recent grad from the U of S or Regina or wherever it is, if I've got my BFA, now where do I go? I, where do I start applying for shows? Well, I know at AKA, for example, you know, they'll have like a jury uh, that gets together to review proposals that have come in. There may be like 150 proposals. How many shows are they going to accept? Right now, AKA is really backed up. I think one or two. Most people, most artists are going to be rejected. Yeah. And so as a young or older emerging artist, Artist-run centers are, in many cases, closed doors, right? That's a problem. I know at AKA, they're you know, really trying to open that up so that there's another space that they opened that, is, uh, that has a, a much lighter kind of application process and a much faster turnaround. So it's possible to get it paved as well. Or they're, they're running programs you know, that, that are open, to many people. So they're trying to do things at all levels. And that's really, really important for them to keep their doors open. It's very, very important. It's a very competitive market. And of course, uh, graduates, uh, students that are just finished graduating, don't have the cash to invest in their own career. Writing grants is as competitive as the others and emerging artists don't have a portfolio to show or anybody to sponsor them. How these people and this and how the institution of the university supports these people that are investing in, 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 in their career path and then they just go out and they have nothing because it's very difficult to just make it to the gallery. What, do you have any comments on that? University art schools have been terrible. 
that way. They've just been awful. And you know, when when uh, you know when I got out of art school uh, back in the day, you know, we we were never given any kind of guidance as to how to carry on, where to go, who to. The university art schools and universities that's that's a whole ball of wax there, that I'm actually quite ambivalent about. Okay. Okay, but. To not go there for a second, I'll just, I'll be very practical in my response to you. I do teach a course at the university. One of the courses that I teach is, is called Professional Practices. And it, it's, it's actually, it's a very practical course. It's for senior undergrads. They're about to graduate. And now what? What do we do? And basically, my approach to this course is just bringing in people from the community all different kinds of people that are distantly related to, uh, to art. We brought in like architects from the city, urban planners. We'll talk to, you know, people at 220. We'll talk to librarians, uh, archivists, curators, writers. I mean, that goes without saying. But my idea in this course is basically, aside from, you know, practical skills like getting your CV together, making sure that you've got an artist's statement. The last project that we did was writing grants. Like each one of my students had to pick a grant and write a grant. Like that's just really, you know, basic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But the basic idea for the course is meeting people. And we do field trips. And we, you know, we went down to uh, uh, AKA and Paved Arts because, you know, I'm... And also BAM. I want to mention BAM because, you know... the BAM people are a kind of a symptom that, that Saskatoon's art community is very healthy. Mm-hmm. We've got, we've, we, we, we're under capacity. There's too much stuff going on, and these people just organize stuff themselves. But it's important for students to meet people. And I always encourage them to uh, uh, get involved by volunteering at Artist Runs anywhere, anywhere. Everybody needs volunteers. And if, if you've ever worked at an artist-run center, you've done it all, from cleaning the toilets and painting the walls to sitting on jury selection committees, you know, to uh, writing blurbs for press releases, and you've done everything. So if you've worked at an artist-run center, even if you volunteered there, seriously, you've got an incredible range of skills that you can put on your CV and apply for other jobs. So they're, they're great places, and especially for meeting people. So my question would it be, are we in a time that artists need to take on the reins of their career, or should they wait for an art historian and a curator, or, a, <laughs> or, or one of those? That's the dream. That's <laughs> yes. the dream, the fantasy of every art student. Yeah. They're going to graduate, and they're going to wait by their phone. I know a writer and a curator can launch a career of an artist yeah, if true. they like their work because they have the they have a, a way to 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 put out the the word and the information about the work that these people are making so there's a, a a very power or for a better use of word influence that curators art writers have it's I write for a few art journals so So how how do you feel when you're writing about an artist? Uh, what would be how do you find them? How do what resonates with you uh, that you just choose to write about X or Y or or Z artist? I've always been very sort of personal 
about that and very going from my gut and what interests me. But I have to say, sometimes, you know, an editor will phone me and say, hey, you want to, we would like somebody to write on so-and-so. It would never have occurred to me. In fact, so-and-so didn't, wasn't even interesting to me. So I say, okay, well, here's a writing gig. Yeah, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to do it. And it's good for me. In most cases, it's good for me because it pushes me, you know, farther than where I would have gone before. And I, you know what? You can, you can, everything is interesting. Everything. Mm-hmm. You just have to look for it, right? Mm-hmm. But what you were saying about, you know, uh, writers and curators having a huge amount of power, there's a lot of truth to that. We're living in the age of curators, right? The curator has risen up over recent decades to become a kind of a, an agent, right? And a very public agent. When I was working at the Art Gallery of Alberta a few years ago, I, I was assistant curator there. Although I wasn't really assisting the chief curator, I was doing my own things. I was sort of in charge of local uh, artists and special shows. But all of the work that I did there, I always signed my name to it. Now, it, that, that means that in the didactic panels that I, that I wrote that were in the galleries had Marcus Miller down at the bottom, okay? So it's true. I was sort of pushing this trend, right, to be a star. And some people, especially the chief curator at the time, was very suspicious of that. But actually, I thought what was going through my head, and I still believe this, is that this, sh- this is a show that was not put together by some anonymous institution. No, if you like it or you don't like it, it's my fault. Come to me. Let's talk. And it was, it's me. I was a representative of the uh, Art Gallery of Alberta. But in fact, it wasn't the Art Gallery of Alberta as this kind of giant robot that put this thing together. No, it was one person. And I wanted to assert myself as an author in the show as well. And if you'd asked me about, you know, my curatorial philosophy, I'm very activist in that regard, in how I think a curator can work with an artist. I don't think a curator, it's always like different. It's always very intimate relationships. And the relationship between a curator and an artist is akin to an editor and a writer. Writers need editors. There's just no doubt about it. So what kind of art do you like? Uh, what are the things okay. that you look for? What are the things that you find interesting? You are interested in politics. You're interested in politics of art. You're interested in audiences. You're interested in social issues. Yes. Is that what you look in your in when, when you are curating a show where you're curating an artist? Because I know there's other artists that uh, curators that uh, specifically look for periods of time uh, if they are modernists, if they are, and then and they create a show based on on, on a theme and, and sort of things like that. Can you explain a little bit uh, what is your process? My purview really is contemporary art. Okay, um, I, I have curated shows that are uh, modern. Uh, pop art, for example. There's a show on now at Paved Art, and I'm going to butcher her name. So if you can help me, I'd appreciate it. But it's Chua Han Catherine Dong. I'm sorry if I got, but please look her up. She's a Facebook, uh, she's crazy on Facebook. She's constantly putting stuff up. But I want to just describe her show a little bit because. I was smitten. I love this artist. I think she's fantastic. She has done this project uh, called uh, One Minute Husband, 
where she started this, you know, I think it was 2008 or nine. She, um, she basically, she goes out with photographer. She's walking the streets and she asks, she stops white guys. It's always white guys. She stops white guys on the street and asks them if they would be, agree to be her husband for one minute while they take a photo of themselves, perhaps on their honeymoon or whatever it is. So she's showing, I think they've got probably 60 or 70 of these photographs that paved right now, but she's done many more of them than that. And if you look through the photo, they're so interesting because the guys are agreeing to do this for different reasons. Some of them are sort of art smart people and they're playing the game. Others are just kind of creepy and you're wondering like, oh, you know, what are they, what's going through their heads? And other guys uh, just look so sweet. And this is a moment, you know, that they've sort of been waiting for and they get to, you know, um, so most of the pictures have the two of them together, very close, they're hugging or whatever, like a, a couple. In the back room, she goes farther. And the next phase of this project was husband for a day, something like that, videos. So it's a similar situation, but here she, uh, she posts advertisements and she's saying, the advertisements, if I could paraphrase, say something like, you know, exotic Asian girl looking for husband for one day. So people answer her ads who say, I'd like to, yeah, okay, let's That's try this. Interesting, interacting. So she goes in, so she, she, she can filter them to some extent, and it's the same situation. But now she goes over to their place, usually, their condo, their apartment, their house, whatever it is, with her uh, photographer, you know, her documentalist, or video, and they have a day together as a husband and wife would have a day together. They make meals, they might go shopping, you know, all the regular stuff that uh, anybody does to live their lives. But here's the rub, and I always, I, I'm pinching myself for not asking her this question. Uh, she gave a talk. There are pictures of her, there are scenes in bed. They're naked. In the bath. They're naked. I want to know how far she goes. My suspicion is that she went all the way. Oh, like she's a wife for a day. Yep. Yep. That's very interesting. But she really did it. Okay, so the reason I'm talking about this show, because you asked me what kind of art am I interested in, yeah. this is the latest one. I, I, I so love this. Why? Because it sits on the border of artifice and reality. Mm -hmm. I think there's really some, like real stuff is going on here. Yes, it's a game. The guys that she gets to do this. Yeah, they understand that it's a game, but some of them are really taking it with a level of seriousness that is quite touching. And in all these cases, it's interesting. She's putting herself out there in very sort of dangerous situations in a, in a sense, right? She can't, you know, there's things that are uncontrollable. Things happen, right? And so I really credit her with bravery and chutzpah. But also, I came away sort of feeling for many of the guys. What, what are they getting out of this? They're getting something out of it. And she, when I saw her talk, she's a very warm 
and generous person. She seems, you know, for whatever that's worth, I, I got a, a real feeling from her of, you know, that she's like a really kind of authentic person. And here she is, she's not, and she's not a theory head either which is almost surprising to me because this is work that's pushing a lot of buttons, right? Orientalism. I mean, she puts Ab- in absolutely. her, right? In her ad, exotic Asian girl, yes. right? And she talks about that in her talk, like the Asian fetish. And like, yeah. she just, she goes there, right there. And it, it's, it's just pushed so many buttons that I, and, and because it's on the edge of, as I said before, art and not art, that's what I'm, that's really what interests me testing the boundaries of what what that is you know that's exciting and and something like that is happening in the snare group gallery too with with a silent workshop of art 66 physiognomies by jinsei kui yeah uh we're hosting uh this show this is something that uh, she did uh for for the city and it was a kind of a special project to recognize the i think it's 20 years of uh, temporary arts program in the city thank you that's right so you're looking for an artist and and she is uh such um she's also so warm and so generous happy to show this kind of stuff right and uh she so but i want to know what it's about absolutely you, uh, you know first it, absolutely. like let me know what the, this thing is and the first pictures that i got uh, with what she had been doing. She, I, show her, you know, at, at various uh, public works of art around the city. She's dancing. She's meditating. She's honoring them in some way or trying to, I don't know what she's doing. She's channeling them in some way, right? And I have the feeling that, you know, she's really trying to, you know, connect with them in a very non-linear way, whatever Absolutely. that is, right? And I respect that very much. And so she's really honoring all of the other works of art that have been commissioned by the city over the years. It's, it's kind of wonderful. Interesting things, things happening in this city for the last couple of years, and, and, yes. and you've been part of that process too, supporting those initiatives too, and, and we're grateful for that. It's a, it's, I feel as if it's an exciting time in Saskatoon, that the city is ascendant right now. It's moving into a kind of a new phase. And with that, we conclude our interview with Marcus Miller. Thank you, Marcus, for being with us tonight. You are listening to On Frame on CFCR 90.5 FM or around the world, cfcr.ca. Thank you and have a great evening.